It is the most wonderful time of the year for a year that can't end soon enough. We all deserve a win. We all deserve a little extra money in our pocket. And we all deserve to have a little fun. Well, the best place to get all three is mybookie.com. They're the only sports book that doesn't care whether you were naughty or nice this year. They've got gifts for everyone. Bet the NFL, NBA, college football, and more. College basketball, too. Sign up today and receive the ultimate stocking stuffer, a 50% deposit bonus up to $1,000. That's a great place to start, but we all know Christmas is about what's under the tree. And at MyBookie, that means huge deposit bonuses, epic giveaways, and free contests. It's simple. Sign up, enter promo code ZABE, and get your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Head over to MyBookie to make the most of the holidays this year and strut into 2021 with cash in your pocket. This winter, bet with the best. Bet with MyBookie. Today on the ZabeCast, like Bob Hope and his All-American specials, I've got my all-Christmas teams ready to go. Of course, Charlie Brown Christmas is a first-teamer. What about the rest? Aaron Jones of the Packers had a run for the ages and a backup quarterback, the blunder of the year. What's next for Levitard? And it looks like I'm in the market for bumper nuts once again. Your high test, not street legal, 30-minute dose of pure me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. Here we go. Wednesday, December 9, 2020. Thank you for downloading. I figured before this holiday season gets away from me and before I get swamped with other sportsy events of the month, I got to give out my all Christmas teams for movies and television. Everyone does lists. Everyone does rankings. I get it. I wanted to package these into first team all Christmas, second team all Christmas, third team all Christmas, with a nod to the fact that when they pick these all America teams, like in basketball, and I'm going with five per team, they try to usually balance it between different parts of the country and between different positions, you know, point guard, shooting guard, small forward, center, etc. And they don't just pick the five best players because the five best players in college basketball might be three guys from Duke, two guys from Kentucky. But they always like to kind of mix it around. So that's what I try to do with the first team all Christmas, second team all Christmas, third team all Christmas. And I limited it to just TV shows or specials and movies. Not live theater, not music per se. We can do some of those all Christmas teams in a bit. This is all Christmas teams, first team all Christmas, movies and television, second team, third team, third team, here we go. On the first team, all Christmas, what else other than the Charlie Brown special, which, believe it or not, was doomed to be a total flop according to the makers, in a great special, which I think you can find on YouTube, at least chunks of it. This is where I got this clip. You may be able to find the original half-hour show, but they go through how and why the Charlie Brown special was made, and here was the key thing you've got to remember about what is arguably the GOAT of Christmas specials. When Bill Melendez and I looked at the final cut of a Charlie Brown Christmas, we thought that we had ruined Charlie Brown. What's the matter, Charlie Brown? Don't you think it's great? It's all wrong. Uh, We didn't think it worked. We thought it was too slow. We didn't know what the network was going to think. It was. 
And I took it back to New York, and the network really didn't like it. The general reaction was uh, one of uh, uh, some disappointment that it didn't really translate <laughs> as well as we thought it would. The networks were against it. it. It went against the conventional thinking at the time of what a children's special, what a Christmas special had to be. But Mind you, buried, if I interrupt here, uh, sorry for interrupting, buried inside the actual episode itself was the same theme of it didn't fit with the times of what was hot or what was trendy or what was considered to be standard fare for the time. That's the aluminum Christmas trees that Charlie Brown was supposed to go get, but he decided to go with something small and scraggly that needed a little bit of love, but was kind of old school. Huh? Talk about that for spooky foreshadowing. With specific negative comments about the music, you know, the piano music. Some of the negative comments about the music, the Vince Guaraldi trio, the music is what makes Charlie Brown. Voicing, which sounded kind of amateurish. And indeed, it was amateurish. A lot of them were kid actors. Rats. But it was a commitment, and it, uh, the film was made. And they said, well, it's in the TV guide logs. we got to put it on the air, but nice try, and, you know, we'll put it on once, and that'll be it. So we figured it was over. It was done. The show aired December 9, 1965. And much to our pleasant surprise, it just was an enormous success. Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown! It was the second most watched show that week, bested only by Bonanza, which was a very popular show at that time. In those days, there were only three networks. And so we got a 49% share of audience, meaning that half of the television sets were on that show that night. 49, 50 shares, 35 ratings are numbers that are on, they're, they're just unimaginable today. The one thing I would love to have seen is the faces on the CBS executives who didn't like the Charlie Brown Christmas, the day they got the, the overnight Nielsen ratings, and they suddenly realized that they had just put on the air the highest rated Christmas special in the history of civilization. I had some questions as to how it would translate, you know, to television, but uh, what did I know, you know, compared to Charles Schultz? Yeah, what did, what did he know compared to, to Charles Schultz? How about that? Good stuff there. Charlie Brown, first team all Christmas. It's a Wonderful Life, first team all Christmas. The Frank Capra, Jimmy Stewart, black and white classic. You can't beat it. It's a bit of a slog. I've now watched it all the way through uninterrupted the last two Christmases. It's growing on me. Christmas Vacation, of course, is a first team all Christmas movie. I'm going to play for you now, though, the original trailer. For Christmas Vacation. Take a listen. This is fascinating. After vacationing across America and throughout Europe, this holiday season, the Griswolds are going to play it safe. Clark, we're stuck under a truck. Oops. They're staying at home. I give you the Griswold family Christmas tree. Hope you're not getting sap all over your sweater, Clark. All Clark wants is a quiet, old-fashioned Christmas. Sorry. Got a little knot here. Do work on that. (laughs) What he's going to get is the gift 
that keeps on living. Merry Christmas. His family. We didn't come to impose. <laughs> oh, hell, there's plenty of room. Do you sleep with your brother? Do you know how sick and twisted that is, Mom? Well, I'm sleeping with your father. Have you got a kiss for me? <laughs> eh, you better take a rain check on that, Art. He's got a lip fungus they ain't identified yet. But no holiday could ever be more deeply touching. We were gonna call, but... Eddie wanted to make it a surprise. If I woke up tomorrow with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be more surprised than I am right now. <laughs> ah, we're really gonna fly down the hill with this stuff. So genuinely moving. Can I refill your eggnog for you? Drive you out to the middle of nowhere, leave you for dead. More truly uplifting. Can I show you something? I was just blouse browsing. Or more down to earth. If Santa is smart, he'll stay well clear of this joint. It's a death trap. Then Christmas with the Griswolds. Everybody come out quick, look at the lights! They want you to say grace. I pledge allegiance to the flag. The United States of America. This year, let Chevy Chase light up your holidays. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. That thing had nine lives. She just spent them all. <laughs> you <laughs> crack up. Oh, it's just so damn good. First team all Christmas. The original Grinch, to me, is first team all Christmas because, damn it, it hits me in the feels every time. So well done and so perfect. You can't. Keep Christmas from coming. But this, this sound wasn't sad. Why, this sound sounded glad. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing. Without any presents at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. Puzzling. How could it be so? How could it be so? It's so good. I love it. And then finally on the first team all Christmas, Home Alone. I'll make an admission, and I'm going to fix this. I have never seen Home Alone all the way through. Oh, my God. What is wrong? I, something happened. It just it fit into a slot where I never saw it. I don't know why. I was a young man, didn't have family at the time. I didn't even know where I was when they made it. Hold on a second. Let me look it up. Home Alone Wiki. And boom, 1990. That makes sense. 1990, I was a young man with dreams of grandeur in my eyes. A, still a tuft of hair on my head and a gleam in my eye. And I'm going to go get the broadcasting world, take it down, and call it my own. I think I was in college. Yeah. No, first year out of college. And I was living in Santa Barbara, California. Why would I go see Home Alone? Anyway, I need to see it all the way through. There's your first team all Christmas. Charlie Brown, It's a Wonderful Life. 
Christmas Vacation, The Original Grinch, and Home Alone. Second team, All Christmas. A Christmas story about the obsession with a Red Rider, Red Rider carbine action, 200-shot range model air rifle. Little Ralphie, A Christmas Story, uh, made in 1983. It is now so popular that TNT or TBS will often run a 24 hours of Christmas story consisting of 12 consecutive airings of the film, which, of course, has the signature line from her mom, from Ralphie's mom, or his teacher, Miss Shields. Uh, You'll shoot your eye out. (laughs) Classic. Then there's, and of course he did. Second team all Christmas, Elf. Of course, a fully grown Christmas elf reunites with his biological father and both wins him over, but also teaches a lesson about the power of believing in Christmas. Apparently, Will Ferrell reportedly turned down $29 million to make Elf 2. I kind of hope they don't make an Elf 2. Be nice if it stood alone. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is a second-team all-Christmas item. 1964 stop-motion animation. The How painful that was to move those little figures a tiny little bit. And it's crude by stop-motion animation. But it is, of course, a classic narrated by the great Burl Ives. Also, all-Christmas second team, A Christmas Carol. So many versions of this Charles Dickens classic. Pick one that you like. I could not pick one that I prefer over the rest of them. It's pretty much dealer's choice on that, but it's second team all Christmas. And also second team all Christmas. Don't scoff at me about this. The Mormon Tabernacle Choir Christmas Concert on PBS. It is spectacular and breathtaking in its scope and size. We're talking about a choir that has existed for over 100 years. It's performed in this incredible venue, the Salt Lake, Utah Tabernacle. Massive. With just, I think there's like 100 women and 100 men in the choir split evenly down the middle. The men in their fine Christmas suits and the ladies in their red Christmas gowns and just singing, and it pours through, full orchestra, and an organ consisting of 11,623 pipes. And then they will bring in ringers to be the lead voices for certain Christmas songs. In high definition, classic. Check it out, PBS. Second team all Christmas. Third team all Christmas. I'm going to go a little bit off the reservation here on a couple of these. Number one, Die Hard. Yes, in the wake of its release, Die Hard has been critically reevaluated. It is now considered to be one of the greatest action films ever made. It's also had, has retroactively been called one of the best Christmas films since the events take place on a Christmas Eve. There is one Christmas tree in Die Hard. But people, the cult of Die Hard as a Christmas movie is so strong now, you can get an ugly Christmas sweater that says... Die Hard on it, and it's got like an anim- It's got an ugly Christmas sweater sort of drawing or knitting of the building <laughs> that was taken over in the movie. Four Christmases is my third team all Christmas selection. Reese Witherspoon, Vince Vaughn, a 2008 Christmas movie in which a young kidless couple has to visit all four 
of their divorced parents' homes on Christmas Day because fog has canceled their escape on their annual Tahiti Christmas vacation. It is screechingly funny. So good. With cameos from David Duvall, David Duvall, Robert Duvall, (laughs) as well as John Favreau as a brother of Vince Vaughn. Oh, if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor. Family Guy, The Road to the North Pole. It's a two-parter. It's dark. It's twisted. It's so perfectly Family Guy. Basically disappointed with them all, Santa, Stewie, and Brian decide to go to the North Pole to teach Santa a lesson, only to face a shocking revelation. And that is Big Christmas is pretty much killing Santa Claus. It's in none of the songs or poetry. It's a horror show up here. How could you let this happen? Me? I didn't do this. Christmas did. Each bell would peal with a silvery zeal as the holiday feeling was killing us. But now instead all we're feeling is dread because Christmas time is killing us. Each Christmas list gets us more and more distilled, but our existence is chilling us. I'll tell you what, shove your list up your butt because Christmas time is killing us. It's not a feel-good episode for young kids by any stretch, but it is brilliant. Also on third team all Christmas, Benny Hanna Christmas from The Office. In this episode, Michael had just broken up with his girlfriend, Carol. And so he, along with Michael and or with Andy and Dwight and Jim, go to a local Benny Hanna restaurant where Michael and Andy find dates with two of the restaurant's waitresses. Back in the office after a conflict with a bossy Angela, Karen and Pam decide to create their own Christmas party. When the majority of the office decides to go to Karen and Pam's party, Angela becomes upset. After seeing this, Karen and Pam decide to combine the parties in the Christmas spirit. Soon after, Michael and Andy's dates leave them, but Michael nonetheless finds someone to go to Jamaica with him. (laughs) That's a class. And I loved every year of the office the Christmas episode or episodes, because they are always good. They just made you feel good. And then White Christmas is my final selection for Third Team All Christmas, 1954 American musical film uh, starring Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye. Filmed in Technicolor, it features the songs of Irving Berlin, including a new version of the song White Christmas that had been introduced by Crosby in the 1942 film Holiday Inn which is the precursor to White Christmas. And no, don't ask me about the Star Wars Christmas special. That did not make my all-Christmas teams, nor did any Chipmunk Christmas, Garfield Christmas, Muppets Christmas, or uh, what am I thinking of? Uh, Ernest Saves Christmas. Yes, the great Paul Varney. Ernest Saves Christmas. Quibbles. Arguments, additions, corrections on my all-Christmas teams, let me know. First team, Charlie Brown, Wonderful Life, Vacation, Grinch, Home Alone. Second team, Christmas Story, Elf, Rudolph, Christmas Carol, and the Mormon Tabernacle Choir concert on PBS. Third team is Four Christmases, Die Hard, Family Guy, Road to the North Pole, Benny Hanna Christmas in the Office, and White Christmas, the American Classic.
Watch them all this holiday season. So Tuesday on 97.3 The Game, we had our weekly chat with Aaron Jones, running back, Green Bay Packers. Got a follow-up email from Dave in Wisconsin who said that he found Aaron Jones underwhelming at best with his responses in previous appearances. Two-word answers, yes sir, no sir, and I walked him through the nature of these type of deals. Well, as luck would have it, the Packers win, and Aaron Jones has a magnificent masterpiece theater 77-yard touchdown run, and that led to a very good appearance today with him. Here's the follow-up email from Dave in Wisconsin. Zabe, I just got done listening to your interview with Aaron, and his breakdown and explanation of the 77-yard run was fantastic. I love the detail about how he pushes the run to the play side up to the heels of the lineman to set up his cut. Yes, these are the subtle things that would help all of us understand football a lot better on the couch. If only the high-paid, cliche-spewing dinosaurs like Daryl Moose Johnston. By the way, is he looking more and more like Jimmy Johnson every day? He's tiny now. You think, this guy played fullback in the NFL? Yes, he did. Moose was his nickname? Yes, it was. And looking more and more like Jimmy Johnson every day. Anyhow, they never explain this stuff in a way that is graspable to the average fan. And it's right there waiting to be explained. And I had to ask Aaron. I said, so you pressed it play side. What does that mean? He means that the direction the play was meant to go to the right, he ran hard and quick up to the heels of his lineman, knowing full well the intent was to cut back to his left once left tackle David Bakhtiari had cleared out the defenders in his way. And sure enough, that's what happened. Now, why do you press it play side? Why do you, what's important about running quick to the heels of the lineman? It's to lure the defenders that way. If you know the play is going left eventually, but you're supposed to start right, and you just lollygag it up to the line, then the defenders are not going to pursue as hard. And so they're going to be waiting for you when you cut back. So you got to press right up into what looks like a gain of nothing, and then boom, cut back into the hole. It's got to be blocked right as well. Anyhow, back to the email. The fact that Aaron knew each of the opposing players' names offhand as you walked him through each move he made was a phenomenal demonstration of his intellect and football memory. The rest of the step-by-step explanation was just brilliant. The only problems, Abe, I have is it leaves me begging for more. Oh, you and me both. I stand corrected, sir. Aaron Jones is the man in every respect. Please give him more. I will. We'll do the best we can. We'll have him explain things, hopefully every week. I'll try to dig harder to come up with better questions to ask about football so we can all learn. Anyhow, thanks for the podcast behind the scenes on how these type of interviews are set up and operate. It makes total sense. Hope you enjoy your stay in Milwaukee this week. I am enjoying it very much. Wouldn't say it's Chamber of Commerce weather, but hey, it's early December in the upper Midwest. What do you want? This is what you got. You learn to love it. Hell, it's going to be 48 degrees on Wednesday 
and some lunatics are going to go play golf, not me. So here was Aaron Jones on a more important issue, though, which is a certain accessory he has been rocking after touchdowns this year that there's an update on. This was from the show on Tuesday morning. Get this set up here. Just a second. Steady, everybody. I'm in control here. There's nothing to worry about. It's just a little USB plug. I got. Oh, God, it's the wrong way. Boy, I cannot wait to get to the USB-C world where every way you put it in works. Okay, here was Aaron Jones talking about another thing of imports. He said, another thing of in- – oh, hold on a second. <laughs> it's really smooth. Aaron Jones on the show today. Now, to another pressing issue, and that is, Josh, the sombrero and the sunglasses. Yes. We got to talk here. Yes, we do, Aaron. So, post-game, presser, you're rocking the sombrero. And for those who don't know, explain why you wear the sombrero. Uh, I've, been, uh, I've been wearing it uh, since the week four of last year, uh, going into the going into the games. Uh the Packer fans sent it to me, and it's a representation of where I'm from and my culture. That's right. That and, I grew up in. And you kill it. And we love it. Now, that being said, we also love the touchdown shades, which were not present. I don't know what sunglasses you were wearing, but they were not the one-of-one. One. They look like costume glasses. It's like spring shades. break Mardi Gras sunglasses. Right. What What's they, going on they there? Lost my, they lost my gold glasses. No! 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 Not possible! No! No! Christmas is ruined! They lost them? Who's they? Uh, So, Jordan Love. I give him the Jordan Love. uh, Oh, come on! Jordan Love! Jordan Love! Oh, my God! What was it? After, uh, what was the, our game book? Oh, Chicago. Um, He had him out there, and he told me he left him on the sideline, and uh, after the game, we we told equipment manager... And they're like, yeah, we'll grab it for you. And then well, I hadn't got him throughout the weekend. I go in on Sunday and I ask him. They're like, oh, we don't have them. We haven't seen them. Oh, we haven't seen them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Hey, Rook. Rook, you have one job. Oh, my God. <laughs> Keep hold a clipboard. Watch what 12 does. And don't lose Aaron's sunglasses. <laughs> wow. It's all cool, though. I, 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 I'm trying to get another pair from Oakley. No, they're yeah. one and one, so you should you should you should be swimming in pairs of those by now. Those those came out; they were the hit of the start of the season. By now, they should have them. We got to call Oakley. We got to say, look, you're you're dropping the ball in this Aaron Jones sunglasses thing. What the heck, man? Let's go. Come on. And now he needs another pair. These should be stocking stuffers for you and your family and your friends all over the place. And now the only pair is lost. All right, we have five days. We have five days to get you a new pair, right? Yes, sir. Or okay. find them. Mysteriously find them. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to scour eBay right now and just make sure that you know Jordan Love didn't go and try to sell them. <laughs> that was hilarious. Not only do we not know that the sunglasses we've been talking about with him all year had been lost, the one pair he was given, but that Jordan Love, Mr. Low Man on the Totem Pole, Mr. Oh, you. What are you doing here? (laughs) See number 12? He's having an MVP season. Are you taking notes? Because eventually, someday, maybe, you're supposed to do about the same. 
and that's pretty hard to do. So, yeah, meanwhile, losing sunglasses. Funny story, and we knew none of it until Aaron Jones dropped it on us. Dan Lebetard is out at ESPN at the start of 2021, and that is a shame because he was the really the best and most enjoyable listen in their entire, the only really enjoyable, genuine, organic, here's a lunch table, a virtual lunch table I want to sit at, radio show on ESPN Radio. The TV show, highly questionable. I would see it usually when I'm on the air in the afternoons, but I wouldn't pay it much mind. It's okay, I guess. But the radio show was good. It was funny. It was everything you want in a good, addictive radio show. It was real, unlike most of what the four-letter Connecticut Sports Network in the Woods puts out. But he's out, and it's going to be interesting to see where he lands and what becomes of him since. Now, I quote to you from this post on Barrett Sports Media. Jason Barrett is a consultant in our business and does stuff with sports radio. He has Jay Mariotti, remember him, writing for him on a weekly basis, if not multi-times a week. Now, Jay is an interesting guy, and he's got some interesting stories to his career away from what you might have heard. I know him a little bit. I spoke with him at the Super Bowl four years ago in Houston. That was a pleasant talk. And um, he also writes a lot of things I totally disagree with. I mean, Mariotti has been super hard pro-virus. Like, shut it down, shut it down, no sports. Nothing, we need to cancel everything until 2021 was basically what he had said. And I couldn't disagree with that more. That said... Nobody knows Bristol politics quite like Jay Mariotti. And so I was fascinated by his take on what happened to Lebetard and his thoughts about it. And of course, he talks about his own dealings with some of the executives up there. But I'll pick it up mid-column because Jay writes very long pieces. He talks about how in 2017... Dan Lebetard lost his number one benefactor. That would be John Skipper, formerly the boss of ESPN. Skipper had been ousted because of, uh, well, he blamed a cocaine dealer for blackmailing him. And so he left ESPN by, quote-unquote, mutual agreement to address a long-term problem with drugs. Lebetard broke down in tears on the air saying, I know I sound like a fool right now. But he said, I didn't want to just work for ESPN. I wanted to work for this man, John Skipper. Years earlier, writes Mariotti, when Skipper dined with me at a Malibu sushi restaurant to discuss my career, he addressed me as a, quote, Shapiro guy, as in Mark Shapiro, who preceded Skipper as the power programmer in Bristol and had hired me for eight years on Around the Horn. That suddenly, Dan Lebetard was a, quote, Skipper guy waiting for a Bristol sniper to bring him down. The minute he said, quote, I didn't want to work for ESPN, I wanted to work for this man, he should have packed up his cool kid ball cap and left the company. It just wasn't going to end well, says Mariotti. Unlike other emphatic ESPN voices, Stephen A. Smith, Max Kellerman come to mind, Lebetard never wanted to acknowledge 
the corporate line that could never be crossed. It didn't exist for him until Skipper. That's because ESPN is still, at its core, a sports network, and Levitard believed he had outgrown it. A high-minded snobbery curiously juxtaposed against sophomoric prattle when co-hosting a radio program with someone named Stugatz and making fun of his father on the daily TV program, highly questionable. At some point, ESPN turned Levitard into a cartoon character, and while he accepted that role, he somehow wanted to be Don Lemon, too. You can't be attacking the president of the U.S. in one breath and giggling like a schoolboy the next. You can, but I know what Mariotti is saying. It sort of undercuts your credibility. I thought back to Levitard's columns at the Herald and hoped he'd come to his senses and return to writing. (laughs) Oh, because there's so much money in writing. Yeah, do I want to be a TV and radio star or go back to writing? Come on, Jay. Instead, he kept picking fights with his bosses. So like Bill Simmons, Jamel Hill, Michael Smith, Will Kane, 30 for 30 documentarians, Connor Schell and Libby Geist, among others, all skipper people, by the way, Lebetard was out on a Thursday morning between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Another casualty of Williamson, who, like the NFL, is more interested in protecting the ESPN shield and the 41-year brand than allowing superstars to be superstars. That is very true. I made the decision to not take an offer to work at ESPN Radio in the fall of 1999. I had been filling in overnights, overnights, in a shitty little studio that they had set up for radio at ESPN. I mean, ESPN in 1999 is big. It's established. It's not a startup, right? That, that, that's 20 years into its run. And just and as late as 99, their radio division was a complete afterthought. The studio, I'm not kidding you, was like a closet in size. Just enough for one, maybe two hosts and a you know glass window to the produ- producer's area. So I'd been doing overnights there on weekends. They were actually flying me up to do weekend overnights and putting me up at a hotel. That's how different the industry was back then. I'd gotten in with a tip from somebody in the industry, and they had said, yes, we'd like to bring you up here. And so I was doing that work, and they actually liked what I was doing. And when I said, you know what, there's an opportunity back in D.C. where I'm from at the local sports radio station. It's not much right now. It's basically updates and doing Wizards postgame shows. I said, I think I'm going to go do that. They're like, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. And they're like, really? Are you really going to leave? Like, we'd like to talk to you about hiring you. And me being me, maybe stupid in hindsight, I said, nah. I said, I just don't think this is right for me right now. Turned down ESPN. Stupid, really. Probably in the end run, stupid. But I think it would have been problematic anyway. Because I wanted to be a big radio star. And if not just a big radio star, I just wanted to do my own shit, you know? I wanted to be able to have fun and do the kind of show that is like a cool kid's lunch table. Sort of like the show that Levitard has done. Anyway, I don't regret it, I swear. I don't. I mean, sort of, kind of, but no, not really. I, I would have never been their cup of tea. That said, here's what Mariotti writes, and it's interesting. 
Oh, he'll land a good gig at an audio shop like SiriusXM or Spotify with many devotees following him. But he ultimately loses what ESPN still has, no matter who's in charge. And that is star-making machinery that blasted his mug over TV platforms for two and a half hours every day. The new companies can give him a microphone, but ESPN gave Lebatard a camera and a high-tech studio. Oh, yeah. He had a sweet setup in South Beach. And I guess he'll still have a, he'll get a new setup down in South Beach, but man, did they set him up. Other networks that have capability yet much smaller audiences, CBS, NBC, Fox Sports 1, are locked into lineups. In the end, Levitard will lose without a TV component, which makes for less money, less traffic, and less impact. He'll have to decide if having more editorial control, and from a personal experience, I grasp the importance, Trump's having a smaller profile in the industry. And to think Levitard not once, but twice, slammed those who left ESPN. When Simmons firing, when Bill Simmons firing met more failure after the fact with the cancellation of his HBO show, Levitard said, quote, one of the afflictions that comes with ego is the idea that you are responsible for your success and that ESPN is not. It's another reminder, do not leave ESPN, man. Those are the words of one Dan Lebitard. ESPN, said Lebitard at the time, is a monster platform that is responsible for all of our successes. Unquote. Mariotti concludes by saying, earlier when Skip Bayless and Colin Coward fled to Fox, he said, you leave, you're going to get lost. You're going to do it for the money and no one's going to know where to find you. Quote, unquote. Well, Bayless and Coward are making so much money, I can assure you, they are not upset about it whatsoever. And they're not lost, but they're not as relevant. Lebitard, who knows? I look forward to seeing where he lands. I hope he can drag Stu Gotts with him because apparently Stu Gotts is still under contract. And ESPN might, well, might, ESPN you know will love holding on to him and just parking him like they did with um, Ed Werder. Not letting him go. Like, oh, you're under contract. You can't work. We're going to pay you, but you can't work. They'll probably try to keep Stugatz away from Levitard for some time. And Stugatz is a brilliant number two. He's a brilliant wingman. He's very sharp, knows his role very well. I mean, I think Levitard without Stugatz is going to struggle if he has to go without him for any period of time. Then again, they may be working on a buyout of his contract. Who knows? Good luck to Dan Levitard and, oh, boy. They're moving Greeny into that spot now. <laughs> Greeny is the choke of sports radio. Do you know what Cho is here? Let me tell you from Stu's father-in-law in Thailand. I admit it. When I first met Stu, I was not quite sold. <laughs> he seemed unattractive. He lacked intelligence and imagination. He was missing the spark you look for in a man. But then I look into Stu's eyes. He reminded me of my sweet brother, Chayo. For those who do not know, Chayo is learning disabled and lives in a group home. 
But Chayo loves Chok. And that's when I realized Stu is Chok. Chok is soft white rice in lukewarm water. It has no taste. We feed it to small baby and uh, very old people. It is nourishment that everyone can digest. The world needs Joe, just as the world needs people like Stu. <clears throat> to my sweet daughter and Stu, congratulations. Here, here. Cheers. <laughs> See what I mean? Mike Greenberg, Sports Radio Joe. Speaking of food, I'm not making this up. Mario Lopez is going to play a young, hot Colonel Sanders of KFC fame in a 15-minute Lifetime mini-movie. I kid you not. This is the Sharknado of our time, or the latest Sharknado. Here we go. Here's your one-minute trailer. You gotta see it to believe it. What the hell are you doing? A Lifetime original mini-movie. You don't answer my proposal, and now you're not answering my call. I think I'm falling for the new chef. Jessica is falling for Harlan. The cook? Leave Jessica alone and skip town. He has a secret recipe that's going to change the world. Harlan claims to have some secret recipe. A secret recipe? (laughs) Spare me. We all have our secrets. If you marry my daughter, I promise there'll be more long weekends in your future. Mom, I have to tell you something. We have a problem. Secrets out, chicken man. I'll take care of this. Ruining everything! Just kill him already! Who the hell are you? Harlan Sanders, the new chef. (laughs) Mario Lopez is Colonel Sanders in a recipe for seduction. Premieres December 13th at noon. At noon, I'm going to make sure to set my calendar. Who are you? I'm Harlan Sanders, and I am railing your fucking daughter. (laughs) I am pounding your daughter, and I have chicken that will make your knees buckle. Who the fuck are you? (laughs) I'm Harlan Sanders. See these abs? Those belong to Mario Lopez, but pretend I'm Colonel Sanders. (laughs) 15 minutes. What if they can keep the plot line up? And I have been told, people, by our friend Matt Miller at Milwaukee, that my 9-11 time travel movie is too ridiculous to even entertain. Yet here we are, an actual in-the-can production of a dreamy and buff young Harlan Sanders recipe for seduction. I have watched some other movies about, and by the way, who knows how much of this may or may not be true, or it's just a complete fabrication, but I am fascinated by movies and documentaries about things that became big, and at the time, you didn't know how it was going to turn out. Like the McDonald's movie, The Founder, Michael Keaton, fascinating, about, of course, McDonald's. And most of it true based on a docu- based on you know biographies and whatnot, but um, not all of it, I'm sure. Some of it probably got bent in favor of Hollywood filmmaking, but it's outstanding. Check it out. The founder, Ray Kroc, McDonald's. 
Also, I saw this movie called Flash of Genius. Uh, by the way, uh, the McDonald's movie features one of my favorite actors who doesn't seem to get enough work, and that is, of course, Michael Keaton, a.k.a. the guy who formerly played Batman, Mr. Mom, you name it. The windshield wiper movie is called Flash of Genius, and it's a true story about the guy who invented intermittent wipers on automobiles and fought the big automakers, including Ford, for a patent infringement on it and ultimately lost in the end. He went crazy doing it. Flash of genius. You can find that streaming services. Check it out. Greg Kinnear plays the inventor uh, that did it, and it's based on a real story. Fascinating stuff. Heather Graham. Did I say Heather Graham? I meant to say, um, uh, oh, who is the? Lauren Graham. Lauren Graham. Lauren Graham. Uh, Langley High School, class of 87. One year behind me at mighty Langley High School. Yes, Lauren Graham, the wife of uh, the guy who invented the intermittent wiper. Speaking of intermittent wipers, so I'm getting a new ride on Wednesday. Uh, for my friends over at the Rustero Group, I am getting a new Ram 1500 Limited pickup truck. Now, I never thought I wanted to be back in a pickup truck. I never thought I needed a pickup truck after I decided to get out of the pickup truck business about a year or so ago. I'm not doing as much yard work as I once did on the property and hauling rocks and doing this outdoor stuff. So I figured, ah, I don't need a truck anymore, and I sold it. That said, these new trucks they're making, Ram is making incredible new trucks. And Gitter has one, as you know from listening to the show, and he has been badgering me, pun intended, to get a Ram 1500. And I'm like, ah, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. As I was sitting in the car yesterday with their general manager, Eric Rizinkowski, who is a fellow Polak uh, back from Detroit, uh, born in Wisconsin, moved to Detroit to be in the auto business, and now is back working for Mike Darrow. He gave me the story of what happened with Ram. Because I, I told him flat out, I said, I would have never even considered the brand. It was a brand write-off. I was like, ah, Ram. American-made you know, a car, probably does this, probably looks like that, probably doesn't, you know, Probably gets uh, you know broken down a lot. Just I had the negative view of the Ram brand. He said, "No, let me tell you, this guy Sergio Marchione saved Ram and Chrysler, and it's a hell of a story." I said, "Really?" He goes, "Yeah, Sergio Marchione, Italian guy who owned Fiat, made Fiat as a company." and bought Chrysler in the wake of the Great Recession back in 2008. Remember, they were about to go under Chrysler and <clears throat> bailed out by the Obama administration at the time. And they were still in trouble, and so Sergio Marchione swooped in, bought the company, and had a vision. And part of his vision, and this is what Eric Rezinkowski told me as we're sitting in this Ram 1500 that I'm going to drive home, after my week is here, week here in Milwaukee is done, and I can't wait for. I normally would not like looking forward to a twelve-hour drive, and I may not do it in one fell swoop. But I, I'm looking forward to it because this truck is so nice. I mean, when I say truck, it's it's a, it's just a five point eight liter, eight cylinder, 
cloud with muscles. It's a cloud with muscles and the technology inside it as well. So the interior of the Limited line is incredibly nice. And I'm sitting in the car going, look at this. Look at this stitching. Look at these accents. Look at this paneling. Look at the instrument dashboard. Look at all this stuff that says attention to detail, attention to detail, attention to detail. Right down to the stitching. There's stitching on the center console where you rest your arm and you put your keys and your other stuff inside of it. Or in this case, your handgun, because I'm a truck owner. And it was like this nice stitching with a nice little badge that said limited on it. I go, see this right here, Eric? I go, I don't know how much this costs, you know, RAM to put on there. Probably not a lot. But the perceived value to me as a customer is tremendous because I look at it and I go, that's nice. They thought about that. They put some time and effort, and that looks classy. And so that permeates pretty much all of the interior. But he said, you know, without this guy, Sergio Marcioni, who died recently, sadly, saying to the U.S. car companies, not good enough when he bought them. He said, this is not going to be good enough. His main point was, look, you're already charging 45, 50 grand for these trucks. And these guys that buy them, that work for a living, they also want to be able to take their family out in the truck, and it doesn't feel like it is an everyday vehicle. It feels like it's a weekday vehicle only for when dad's working. It's not for the family. They've changed that. And it is full of technology. We're talking, you know, a lift system for the suspension that I still don't fully understand, but it sounds incredible. The integrated 12-inch center console screen, incredible. Works just the way you want it to with, you know, Apple CarPlay and all that. Stereo system, that's phenomenal. The size of the cab is enough that you can sit in the back and feel comfortable. And then there's a pickup truck bed on the back, which, again, I don't think I'm going to use it very much, the bed, but it's nice to have it. I told Eric, I said, you know what? The bed is basically an afterthought. And he goes, or not an I said, the bed is a bonus. That's what I called it. It's not an afterthought. The pickup bed is a bonus. So even if you're not doing a lot of real heavy work and loading tools and two-by-fours and stuff in there, there's going to be times where you're going to want to use that truck. You're going to want to set up for a family picnic or a party. We've got a bunch of chairs. Got to load them in the back of someone's car or truck in this case or oversized plants for a you know, school raffle or something like that. You got a truck. The bed is back there for when you need it. It's a hell of a vehicle. Looking forward to it. But anyway, Sergio Marchione, you should read about it. Uh, I got the story from USA Today. Uh, come on, click the link here. My, ne- my Evernote is not behaving the same way since they updated it. But they said five ways that Sergione saved Chrysler. Number one was he found a diamond in the rough. That's always key. Number two, they bet big on Jeep because it retained incredible consumer appeal in the Chrysler suite of brands. Three, he worked like a maniac and said it must have been hell working for him. Number four, he said he bucked convention and that when global automakers were obsessing over the need to have fuel sipping cars, he realized that, you know what, nobody wants a small car anymore. So rather than doubling down, he got out entirely of the small car business when the Dodge Dart and the Chrysler 200 were not working. That's key. A lot of executives say, well, we're not selling a lot of Dodge Darts or Chrysler 200s. We need to keep trying. Do it better. Do it smarter. He was like, nah, you know what? I'm listening to the people. They don't want this shit. 
So he killed both vehicles, effectively pulling Fiat Chrysler out of the small car business. And it was a very prescient move, says USA Today, because today small car sales are dismal. And in about 2018, Ford made essentially the same decision, killing the Focus, the Fusion, and the Fiesta. Toyota killed their Scion brand. GM is said to be weighing killing the Sonic small car. Small cars, nobody wants them. We don't have to have them. Yeah, gas was high a while ago. It's not now. Probably won't be for a long time as well. And the fifth thing was he provided a clear vision, which is we're going this way whether people like it or not. Anyway, looking forward to riding around in that sweet-ass truck and uh, just got to find some bumper nuts and I'm good. We'll end on some COVID news. I have a ton of stuff piling up, and I just have not been able to get to it all. So here's a couple items. The media is now absolutely delighted in calling the Swedish uptick in cases and deaths a quote-unquote catastrophe. Yes, Sweden, the model student, the A student, the uh, teacher's pet, of those of us on hashtag team reality has seen a wave hit them here in the late fall, early winter. Is it a catastrophe? Of course not. But the media wants to spin it that way. Swedish, Sweden's catastrophe, quote unquote, according to one report, is that all cause deaths in, are in normal range, which is similar to all cause deaths in Finland, and less of the all-cause deaths than Finland from 2019 to 2020. And by the end of the year, it appears likely that Sweden will have lower all-cause deaths than Finland and Denmark combined. 20 weeks below expected all-cause death in Sweden. Well, that doesn't matter. It's all about doing the right thing to stop COVID from spreading. Actually, it just matters The only thing that matters is death, and it's all-cause death, and everything is interrelated. It's not a catastrophe unless you're obsessed with only COVID numbers and the way they are counted. Peru has had the toughest lockdown in the world, and guess where they are? With the worst fatality rate in the world. And unfortunately, some people believe, and I think it's true, that a vast majority of the population would rather demand more crackdowns than accept the fact that we're dealing with something we simply have no control over. Headline, UK official, mask wearing may continue for years. Wait until next season when COVID has mostly been sent scurrying thanks to vaccines and herd immunity, and there'll be people saying we need a mandate mask wearing during flu season. It's the right thing to do. Watch for it. Hey, what about contact tracing? Remember when that was supposed to be the end-all, be-all? We need contact tracers. Contact tracers. Mark Cuban's bright idea to fix the rampant unemployment last spring was, let's have the government hire them all to be contact tracers. Well, uh, the Hamilton County Health Department is suspending contact tracing efforts as the coronavirus is circulating at unprecedented levels and overwhelming the local health infrastructure, the the local public health infrastructure. So in other words, they can't trace it all. Hamilton County, I think that is in Ohio. I'm not sure. 
also in Virginia, in August, rolled out the first statewide contact tracing app for COVID. Oh, there's an app for that. Four months later, 90% have not downloaded the app. What a shocker. And then there's the vaccines, which started rolling out this week. This was coming, and people warned you. I might have said it as well, but here we are. A tweet put out by CNN. Here's the card you'll get when you eventually get the COVID-19 vaccine. Everyone will get a card they can put in their wallet that will tell them what they had and when their next dose is due. Vaccination cards will be the simplest way to keep track of COVID-19 shots, says the story. Right. We all know the card will likely become the first form of proof for interrogation into your vaccination status. You'll be required to show to go to a ball game, to fly, to go to work, to go to school. Who knows what else? People saw this coming from as far away as March, and yet here we are. Of course, half of the New York City firefighters have said they will not be vaccinated for COVID-19 when the potentially life-saving shot becomes available to first responders in a matter of weeks. This according to a new internal survey. You get a fire half of the New York City firefighting department because they refused to get a vaccine. You got to force them to do it. Oh, the lawsuits, my God. How about field hospitals? This is interesting. Alex Berenson tweets that turns out that field hospitals are essentially useless for the delivery of medical services. But as mechanisms to scare the public, they're excellent. We opened a field hospital to cope with COVID overrun. You insensitive bastard. They do the trick there. Apparently the field hospitals can't really deliver COVID mitigating medicine. Oh, they can put you in a cot and a bed and hook you up to some rudimentary machine. They can maybe give you a a little bit of medicine, but nah, to really get treated for COVID if you're in bad shape, you're going to have to go inside the hospital. But let's stand up a field hospital to scare people. In Massachusetts, where they put a new field hospital up, complete with exercise bikes, they have not used it. Why? Because in the hospital hospitals, you know, the ones that are indoors, they only have 1,428 COVID patients which was compared to 4,000 in the spring and 2,300 empty beds. It has 283 people in the ICUs and 600 empty ICU beds. But get that field hospital open. Get it open now. Let's go. By the way, I have read and I've been told that hospitals and their ICU ICU units typically run about 90% full. And when things get really sketchy, it gets up to 98% during, say, cold and flu season. But it doesn't mean that, okay, we're up to 94, 96, 98. Oh my God, we're about to run out. And then we're just going to dump bodies in the street. No, that's when the healthcare system starts getting nimble. You might have people that are in the ICU just because they came in They had labored breathing. They tested positive. They wanted to make sure they had supplemental oxygen. And because they had room, they said, we're going to keep in the ICU. Because, by the way, hospitals get money. 
more money for COVID and the ICU. So why not? Why not keep them there? But if, if push came to shove and if more serious cases come in, they would start shuttling out the less serious cases into other parts of the hospital or send people home. But you know that you people who listen to me, you know this, you're smart. What do you mean, you people? It's the rest of the sheep out there, including maybe your own mom and dad. That's what's tough. How do you gently explain to your mother or father, settle down? I know, settle down. And then there was this. (laughs) Kaylee McEnany, the White House spokeswoman, was asked about Christmas parties and whether or not they would be safe to attend. And she had this rather savage response to that question. Uh, The CDC director today said that the next few months could be among the worst uh, public health months in American history. I wonder, does the White House, is it setting a good example for the public, for the White House, the only in-person holiday parties at a time when uh, the CDC and other organizations are asking Americans to forego those kinds of celebrations for their own safety? Yeah, so, you know, if you can um, loot businesses, burn down buildings, engage in protest, um, you can also go to a Christmas party. Um, oh! Christmas. <laughs> God, that is so fucking good. And I will miss that for sure come January 21st. Yeah. You know, it's going to be the worst public health crisis in the country's history. Is it really right to be having these parties? Hey, man, if you can do all that, you can also go to a Christmas party. Good luck, though, finding enough people who aren't brainwashed sheep to actually host one or go to one. That's the hardest part. And I am not going to strong arm my family into doing anything they don't want to do. There's already talk of an outdoor Christmas gathering. Yes. In Washington, D.C. With the Zabin family. I I know who I think is concerned in the family. and I ain't going to fight them on it. If they're concerned, God bless them. I'll go when I'm told. I'll go. I'll show up. I'll screw on a smile. I mean, I'll have a smile. I'll be happy. You know, it's Christmas. But it's just bring a coat. Leave early. Merry Christmas, Ma. Dad, sis, everybody, love y'all. Godspeed. Stay safe there. Keep the mask on. Keep six feet apart. Keep doing all the voodoo you're doing. Stay behind plexiglass. And Happy New Year. Call me and we'll get together soon if you feel like it. All right, that is a wrap for today. Thank you so much for listening. Wow, the time flew and it was just me and you. I appreciate your subscribing to the Zabecast for you Friday members, the $5 a month. Helps keep me motivated, energized, and wanting to expand and make this thing great in every way possible. And for you freeloaders that are listening today through Thursday, shame. Shame on you for stealing. No, I'm just kidding, man. Spread the word. Can I ask that of you? Rate and review. Can I ask that of you? Okay, thank you. Have a great Wednesday, everybody, and we will see you next time. Like champagne and leather, like birds of a feather, we'll fly. Like rain on a sunny day, like a million dollars that you're giving away, like a stray dog on the freeway, we'll fly. Cause we are like a team, living inside a dream. You and me doing the thing, and we'll fly.
It is the most wonderful time of the year for a year that can't end soon enough. We all deserve a win. We all deserve a little extra money in our pocket. And we all deserve to have a little fun. Well, the best place to get all three is mybookie.com. They're the only sports book that doesn't care whether you were naughty or nice this year. They've got gifts for everyone. Bet the NFL, NBA, college football, and more. College basketball, too. Sign up today and receive the ultimate stocking stuffer, a 50% deposit bonus up to $1,000. That's a great place to start, but we all know Christmas is about what's under the tree. And at MyBookie, that means huge deposit bonuses, epic giveaways, and free contests. It's simple. Sign up, enter promo code ZABE, and get your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Head over to MyBookie to make the most of the holidays this year and strut into 2021 with cash in your pocket. This winter, bet with the best. Bet with MyBookie.